Greetings, welcome to FPC Up Close and Personal. Every week we get a chance to interview and talk with one of the members of our church, and this is one of those interviews. Okay. Greetings all, welcome. This is Pastor Doug, and I am here today with Frances Howard Snyder, who in most of her life when she is on the campus is known as Professor Howard Snyder, Professor of Philosophy at Western Washington University. And our, um, our spiritual pathway for this month is intellectual, and Frances was the first person I thought of to talk with. And so Frances, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. Um, I would love to just ask, how does curiosity build your faith? Well, thank you for inviting me, Doug. It's, uh, it's really an honor to be in this um, series. And um, on the question of how curiosity builds my faith, um, well, I, I don't know. That's a, it's a, it's an interesting way to put it. I, I think um, understanding how the physical universe is made is, is a, a, a strong argument for um, belief in God. I, I'm very attracted to the fine-tuning argument, which is one of the major contemporary arguments. Um, also, I think um, thinking through a lot of philosophical issues has helped me remove some obstacles that existed towards faith, and I bring that into my classroom a bit. I can talk more about that later. Um, and also, uh, philosophers have thought a lot about um, how religious experience might be a, a basis for faith, and um, they've done a lot of thinking about how um, other sources of knowledge like sensory, um, you know, your eyes and ears and your memory uh, provide basis for knowledge. And people have in the past have argued, well, you gotta have a justification for this. You know, how do you, how do you prove this? And it turns out it ends up, it's basically impossible to sort of prove that your senses are reliable. You basically just have to trust them. And so philosophers, both theist and non-theist have sort of come to this sort of idea of we really just have to have something like faith in our in our own senses and in our memories. And uh, Christian philosophers have argued that you can extend that to religious experience. That um, you just sort of have have to kind of take it on faith, and it's not it's not some it's not really just intellectually dishonest. I mean, if you you know you could go so far as to be a completely skeptic, like the ancient Greeks who just sort of sat in the corner and wagged their finger and said. You know, they didn't even assert that they couldn't know something because, of course, that would be to make a claim. But that's really kind of ridiculous. So, you know, you have to take some things on faith. So, you know, why not take, um, I mean, uh, you know, barring good, you know, good objections, if there are good objections, you obviously, just as with, with sensory information, you know, you, you get optical illusions and you say, oh, yeah, I, sh I was wrong. And in that case, it, it wasn't trustworthy. But, but by and large, you trust until you get some good reason to reject. So I, I think that that can provide a kind of, uh, maybe this is just another example of removing an obstacle, right? You, you feel like you don't have to absolutely justify everything. Oh, I love that. I, um, um, you probably know that, that pastors used to wear, pastors wore black robes because John Calvin wanted it known that pastors are an academic, are academics. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. Good. And then I talk with you and I think, oh, that's what an academic really sounds like. Um, thank oh. you so much, I love that. Um, <laughs> Francis, tell me, what is it like being a follower of Jesus in the academic world? You spend so much of your time in the academy. What is it like being a follower of Jesus there? I, I, I think it is, um, as, well, um, it's not as bad as you might think. Right? It's, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of atheists in the academy, I must, I must say. But I think um, 
uh, I just thought of three uh, three areas that I could mention here. One one is the philosophy in general. There, there's a very large um, society. Of, well, it's getting smaller, but there's a fairly substantial philosophy um, society of uh, Christian Christian philosophers that um, my husband um, my husband's mentor Bill Alston and Alvin Plantinga started, and uh, it's continuing to flourish. Dan is on the um, executive committee now. And they do a lot of good work, and they've um, they provide a kind of community that is, that I've enjoyed being connected with. They have a, a journal called the um, Faith and Philosophy, which tries to connect faith and, and reason and so on. Uh, secondly, in my own um, department, which is my main place where I work at the university, we have several. I think something like five out of six of us are Christians, which is very unusual, and so I feel that I can talk about these ideas. Well, I mean, I hope I could talk about them with atheists, but I can talk about them in a, in a more relaxed way with my, my colleagues. And then finally, in my teaching, I, I one of my main classes that I teach is, is uh, the philosophy of religion. It's an introduction. And this is not, um, you're not supposed to proselytize. I mean, it's there's no question right. that this is a sermon, right? But <laughs> we get into some issues. And it's not officially a Christian um, but it's sort of in the monotheistic tradition. So a lot of the issues that the, the medievals would have talked about, you know, arguments for the existence of God and so on. And in that, in that class, I, you know, I try to make, I, I, I try to um, sort of help people think through some of these obstacles, like the problem of evil we, we talk about a lot, and some of the puzzles, you know, can, can God make a stone so heavy that he can't lift it? Which is, you know, so it sounds like a totally frivolous puzzle, but it turns out to be quite an interesting puzzle if you push on a little bit and, and then one that really I thought was a devastating knockdown when I was a teenager was, uh, you know, uh, if God knows everything you're going to do, then how can you be free? And I, that's a puzzle that I continue to think about a lot. And I teach and that's one of my favorite sections of the class. And we also talk about the stuff that I was mentioning before about um, religious experience and miracles and and thinking about life after death. And, you know, can you be a person who takes science seriously and also believe in life after death? And, and I, I try to make a case that that, that, that is coherent, those two, those two things are. And um, I mean, you, it's not all, you know, pro-theism. I mean, I, I, I point out some difficulties for, for some of the arguments for believing God. I think some of those are, have, have difficulties, but I, you know, try to make, the, at least to make the case that, that it's, it's, it's plausible. You know, a lot of intelligent people believe this. It's, 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 those easy knockdowns are mistaken. So, so tell me, because just from that conversation, we can see that you are at home living in left brain thinking that, you know, you're, I mean, philosophy is about there's rhetoric, there's logic. I mean, you guys are teaching critical thinking skills, which are so necessary right now. Uh -huh. culture. I love it. Um, but I know that you love to not just dabble, you love to immerse yourself in right brain <laughs> activities. Um, so will you talk a little bit about that? Because I think you are so interesting in terms of your love for creativity. How does Yeah, that I was, you, you said dabble and I was going to say, I don't like the word dabble, but now you, you <laughs> I, correct, um, I corrected myself. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, 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 I take my uh, fiction writing very, very seriously. Um, I'm actually um, working on an MFA right now through the um, um, Rainier Writers Writing Workshop at Pacific Lutheran University. And I've published kind of like 20 stories and I'm working on a novel. And I, um, it's something that I've always loved. I've taken a lot more seriously in the last 10 years or so. 
And I, um, I think it actually fits with philosophy because I, I, I like to explore um, moral questions, ideas through fiction. And I find that doing it in a fictional way is more satisfying because there's different aspects of oneself, one's sense and one's imagination, one's feelings, emotions. And, and so I, I think of, um, um, I don't know if you know the fam very famous story, the lottery or um, the ones who walked away from Omalas or anything by Flannery O'Connor, who I know you love. Those are sort of my, <laughs> those are my um, models for, but I, I think, I think as those sort of illustrate, you can um, you can make a philosophical point or a moral point in a fictional way. And um, my department is actually, and my university has actually sort of allowed me to do that as part of my, my job. We have, our job is has three pillars, teaching, which is the big one, and then service, which is the small one, and then uh, something they call either scholarship or uh, creative activity. And um, my, we, we get to decide exactly how to measure those things. And in our department sort of, we came to an agreement that I could, I could write short stories as a, as a way of doing it. So I've, I've, I have actually published some stories in sort of philosophical context, like, um, yeah, so a few, a few places. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's tricky because you don't want to, um, you don't want to be too sort of heavily philosophical. You don't want to have like two characters just talking about, I mean, that, that's a different thing. That's like, like Plato's dialogues or Hume's dialogues. But, but if you, if it's really going to be genuine, real fiction, you, you want it to sort of show, not tell. And so you got to be a little careful about pontificating, which of course is my, one of my <laughs> vices, but, um, but I, I think, I think being a philosopher makes me a better fiction writer and hopefully being a fiction writer makes me a better philosopher. Oh, I love that. And if, if it's okay, would you allow us just to post some ways that people could read some of your short stories? Is that, would that be okay? Yeah. Can I, can I get back to you on that one? Yes, by all means. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so tell me, um, do you have an encouragement for the church as a philosophy professor and a creative writer and all these things we talked about? Do you have an encouragement for the church? Well, I, I like this idea of loving God with your whole mind. Um, you know, God is the creator of everything and God is infinitely wise, knowledgeable. So um, be open to the truth, you know, be open to science, be open to critical thinking. Um, just listen to different sides of things and try, try to get, try to get the truth rather than just some narrow, narrow version of it. And I think that's, if you have real faith in God, then you should believe that, you know, be open to his truth rather than just our human version of it. Exactly. Love that. Well, Francis, would it be okay if I just offered a prayer for you? Yeah, please. And Thank you. Lord, I'm so thankful for the work Francis does, for the life of the mind, for the creativity, for the, <clears throat> the chance to try to bring the right brain and left brain activities together in a way that glorifies you. Pray, Lord, that just for the work she is doing in teaching, for the work she is doing in scholarship, for the work she does in service, Lord, just bless those. And we pray your blessing on the work that she is doing as a um, <clears throat> wife and a mother as well. In your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Francis, that's the end of the video, but um, I'm going to put this on a podcast. Is it okay if I ask you a few more questions just off the top of my head? And you can say no, if you would like oh, to. Go, go ahead. So tell me, um, if someone was going to get interested in Flannery O'Connor, what, which one would you recommend reading first? And I, I 
tried not to enter into the temptation of talking about Flannery O'Connor because that would make the interview just weak. <laughs> well, I like her, her story, uh, Revelation, uh, which is, um, it's a sort of very biblical, you know, about this woman sitting there saying, I'm better than all these people. And, and then there's this fierce, ugly girl that comes and attacks her and, and she has a vision. I don't know. Ugly it's college, very ugly college girl, right? It's, there's always yeah. an ugly college girl in Flannery. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that, that, that's, that's probably my favorite. I, I don't know if that's the, I, I don't, I don't know that I could answer, you know, what's the ultimate best. Yeah. Uh, a good man is hard to find is, a, is also a kind of distinct one. <laughs> It's memorable. It's you don't yeah. forget that one. Once you read that one, that sticks with you. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that. Well, I want to ask as a professor, what's it like now having these two young men that you have raised now be scholars and be good students? I mean, they're they're killing it from what I can tell. But what's it like being the mom of college students? It's it's lovely. I mean, we, you know, we, we have very interesting conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think that I, I think it influenced me as a teacher because I, I see, you know, maybe I should have seen things, you know, before, but I, I mean, I, I've, you know, like I, when a, a student says, you know, I, I can't afford the textbook or I'm, you know, I, I, I had a problem with this or I got my car broke down, whatever. I, I immediately think, you know, what if this was William? What if this was more likely Peter? Um, you know, and I and I and I feel more empathetic to us, and I and I, I tend to be more, um, I don't know, lenient, I suppose. <laughs> but it, it's it's nice to watch them. You know, I, we have uh, William upstairs right now. He they just came down. He came home to get a shot, and okay. he's feeling a little sick, but he's taking an exam. But it's really nice to because we you know there we had to be a little distance because of the of the of the virus, so. We, we would sit in the garage and have dinners, but we couldn't actually touch them and they couldn't come to the house. But now they, now we're, we're in that new phase of reconnecting and it's very, very nice. I heard about those distance dinners um, because yeah. you, you guys, it, it was a harder year because we needed to, you needed to keep Dan safe. Um, that was, yeah. That was, a big yeah. That, that was, was really up the ante. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we were lucky, you know, I think if they'd been on the East Coast or something, it would be incredibly difficult to see them. and. So having them in at UW was 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 not too too bad, and they actually lived with us for the first three months of the of the um, pandemic, which was which was nice. But you know now they're just about to graduate, and now I have to. I'm sure you know all about this, and I have to think about. Oh my God, how, how do they how do they make their way in life now? You know, what's the next step? And, Luckily, that's their job. <laughs> well, it's their job to do, but it's my job to worry about. <laughs> It's a big deal. They're graduating. I can't believe that. Not not this year. Uh, next, next year. Next year. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. But they, but, if they could, I mean, they are bright kids. They have been cranking through school. I know. So. Yeah, no. they're 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 doing they're doing okay. They're I'm, both philosophy majors as well as whatever else. I mean, that that's not their main thing, but it's kind of fun to see them. They're both talk about. They're both taking philosophy classes through the. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're, William's doing a computer science and philosophy double major and Peter's doing psychology and philosophy. So they don't have, they don't plan a life in philosophy, but they've, they've got an undergrad, they'll have an undergraduate degree. So we'll have four. Do you know any of the philosophy professors at UW? Uh, you yeah, guys get together and hang out and have wine and cheese parties or something like that? No, I was thinking it would be fun to take out this one that William, they both had several classes with who, um, 
and I think Dan actually knew him maybe 30 years ago so he's he's been around a while but he's a really really good guy and he they love him as a teacher so that might be fun love that I, I hope that gives them a little bit of an in I hope they get to go up for office hours and say <laughs> my last name is Howard Snyder does that mean anything yeah. is there anything going on there that, that I don't know William was um He's taking an epistemology class right now with this guy, William Talbot, and he said he was tempted to tell, they're studying the philosopher William Payne Alston, and William was thought he was was tempted to say, I'm actually named after, I'm, my <laughs> name is William Payne, Howard Snyder. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. That's pretty. Yeah, we have, we have some pictures of uh, him as about a four-year-old with William Payne Alston, which is very sweet. He died certainly after that. So can I give you can I give you just a full softball question here? In two minutes, why should we study philosophy? Why in the world would a student spend time at a place like Western Washington University when they could be taking practical classes like computer science? Why in the world would they want? Why in the world should they study philosophy? Um, I think I think it makes people better thinkers. I think it makes you a much more disciplined thinker. I think it gives you a sense of um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we spend a lot of time uh, thinking about language and, and how and reasons and, um, you know, thinking about what's a, what, what provides reason for what and, um, and you can probably get some of this in other in other departments. I, I don't know that it's, um, I mean, critical thinking, you know, philosophy doesn't have a monopoly on critical thinking, I'm sure, but um, I think a real you know, you think about some big questions which are important and valuable in their own right, and you also get a kind of skills and in really being critical about language and about how ideas work and so on. I, I, uh, I don't know if that's a very good answer, but it's I, th I, th I think it just generally would make make a person a better a better thinker. I would agree. I think that is true. Um, another easy question: What's on your nightstand? What are you reading these days? Oh, I. Um, well, I, I just, I'm beginning at the end of a book called Cast by Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Isabel Wilkerson, which is oh about- Oh my goodness, uh, such a you, good book. Yeah, yeah, a really good book. Uh, so a friend of mine gave it to me for my birthday and I'd noticed it on on uh, um, David Brooks and Jonathan Capehart's stand. So I was like, wow, that's cool. Um, so reading that and, and I um, just had a uh, kind of a binge on uh, Kasuo Ishiguro's books. Um, I read uh, Reigns of the Day again and Never Let Me Go. And then I just read his new book about, um, which is about artificial intelligence, which is kind of fun, Claire in the Sun. And then I have a whole bunch of books about writing. I've got a book called uh, Dialogue. I'm trying to learn about dialogue and a book called How to Write Your Theme of Your Book. And um, yeah, so. <laughs> that sounds like a very large stack on your bedside table. That sounds like you're... I'm sure it's pretty much always that way, I would expect. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I like to read. I know you like to read. I do, I love it. And um, what's it like being a student and being a professor at the same time? Is that an interesting thing to do? Yeah, it is, it's, uh, it is interesting. I, I mean, I, I really, I think I really like being a student more than I like being a teacher, to be honest, because <laughs> you get to ask the clever questions and you don't have to have the answers. And you don't need to grade. Yeah. You don't need, you don't need to grade tests. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of grading this last year. Boy, I, I try to make my students do more writing because we weren't really talking, you know. But that's, uh, grading's okay. 
but um, yeah, and it's, you know, you sort of have, it's interesting sort of seeing it from both sides and, um, you know, I sometimes would be annoyed with those students who would come in, you know, sort of older students who had a lot of experience and who would sort of try to tell me how to do things in the classroom. And now I'm that, that student, you know. Who's... <laughs> <laughs> it would be very hard when you've been the professor. It's like, I, I know how to do this. I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not your typical student. Do you think professors like having you as a student or do you think that they shiver in their boots when you are part of their classroom? Um, well, I, it depends. I mean, it, the way we, 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 the way this is done is um, it's primarily done on a, a, you have a mentor for a year mm -hmm. and then you have a classes at, at the residency at the end of the year. But so right now I have a mentor by the name of Suzanne Burney, who's a wonderful writer and wonderful, just a wonderful human being. And, and she, I, I wrote a little piece last last month on um, that I might end up making my thesis um, about causation in fiction. Mm -hmm. She says, "Oh, this is so great!" And I showed it to my students, and I really felt I learned from it, and so that made me happy. Um, I mean, she has a ton, to, you know, she's tend to teach me. I mean, I definitely, but it was nice to be able to feel like she learned a little something from me, and um, and we we really get. I mean, we're about the same age, and we're both professors I've seen so we, we we kind of connect as you know as peers in some ways as well as, as students yeah so I want to go back to the left brain and right brain because um I had an opportunity one time to have lunch with a colleague of C.S. Lewis's and that's what he said about C.S. Lewis he said what made C.S. Lewis so unique is that he could do the creative writing as well as the deep um the deep academic writing and he said, we're waiting for the next C.S. Lewis to come around. And I have been wondering, I, I am thinking it might be Marilyn Robinson. I really oh, have yeah. grown to, I've grown to love her books and she is quite the academic. She can hold her own in any academic world, but um, I have found her fiction writing to be phenomenal. Are you seeing other people in that realm that, that hold on to both those things? Yeah, off the top of my head, think of the right person. But uh, I, I love C.S. Lewis. I haven't, honestly, I haven't ever been able to get into Marilyn Robinson. But I should, I should make an, another. Did you, another did, you, did you give Gilead a try, or was it? I did. Yeah, I think so. But I, I, I mean, I, I'm sure it's just, it's just me being silly, you know, not being able to get into. It. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think Ishiguro is brilliant. I mean, I, I'm just blown away by his, his stuff. I. Um, uh, there's a philosopher, there's a, a writer by the name of Ted Chang, who I think is quite, I don't know if you know him, he's a science fiction writer. He's uh, a lot of philosophers like him, like him a lot. I think he wrote, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie Arrival. I think he wrote the screenplay for that. Okay. And he has a bunch of other things that are very sort of thought provoking and. Um, Good. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not on the top of my head thinking of, of the person that would fit that description, but I, I'm sure a bunch of names will occur to me when I, <laughs> when I say goodbye. I'm just intrigued and I, I love that you're doing it. I love that. I, I don't find a lot of people able to do it. And I think it's, I think it's remarkable skill to be able to translate, you know, deep academic thoughts into a creative writing. I think George MacDonald was able to do it. I think C.S. Lewis could do it. I think there's yeah. something, I, I think we love that fiction that does, I think, I love that you're trying to bring the ph philosophical ideas into your fiction. I think that's something very exciting. Thank you. And, Thank you. and have, you, have you yet 
to um, actually require students to read one of your fiction pieces for a philosophy class? I, uh, I, I put my, I put a couple pieces of fiction up. I, I don't think I required it. I just made it optional. Because I think that, I think that would be a moment that you could say, okay, I've, yeah. I've done it. I've, I've asked them to read a fiction book, a fiction piece. Yeah, I think Dan, uh, Dan asked his students to read it or gave it as an extra credit option to have them read and comment on the story of mine. But, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I think that's, I think that's exciting. And I love that the university is granting you the opportunity to do that. That seems Yeah. I, and I must say Dan has been very helpful. I mean, initially he was very critical of me doing this, but he, he's helped and supported me and, and encouraged my, my colleagues to, to help on this score. So I, I should give him credit for that. I love that. Do any of your colleagues write fiction at all? Yeah, my, uh, do you know Hadu Chong? Yes, Hadu. Yeah. He, he actually wrote a novel um, and published it. Uh, um, in a, I'm not sure, it's sort of more of a university, sort of Christian university kind of press. And it's, it's very philosophical. It's sort of, um, it's about um, the, it's called the, uh, a grotesque in the garden it's about the devils um, after mm -hmm. the fall and it's uh, very it's very interesting yeah it, it sounds like it's got a little flannery o'connor connection she loved yeah he loved yeah, the grotesque be. idea yeah definitely yeah uh, that was great well francis thank you for taking a little extra time i think that would be fun it's nice for me to have a little extra content in the podcast and I appreciate uh -huh. just, I appreciate you just taking questions thrown at you that you had no idea what they were going to be so yeah a pretty good thing I didn't know that there were going to be these <laughs> questions <laughs> you got me relaxed and then you asked me this. it'll just yeah. be on the podcast so okay all right well, I'm gonna, thank you I'll stop our recording thank you friend Thanks for listening to another FPC podcast. We encourage you to subscribe every week. You will be receiving some of the interviews that we do, as well as the sermon, as well as some of the music that we have. And we are also including some FPC special events. We encourage you to subscribe. Thanks for listening.